0: Now let's listen to a great program.
1: I was inspired to entitle my presentation this evening, The Gift of the Holy Spirit Experienced Through the Sacred Heart of Jesus. My original thinking was to give a teaching on the sacred heart of Jesus. since The month of June is dedicated to the sacred heart of Jesus. Anybody know when we celebrated it uh, this past June? It was a very significant, historic day in the United States of America. June the 24th. What happened on June the 24th? Yeah, Roe v. Wade. The second reason for the title, The Gift of the Holy Spirit, Experienced Through the Sacred Heart of Jesus, was that the Feast of Pentecost was celebrated that same month on Sunday, June the 5th. Pentecost, as you know well, is the grand celebration of our Lord's gift of the Holy Spirit to the whole church. And finally, the third reason was that June is traditionally known as the month for brides. Salvation history is often described as an expression of God's desire to marry us, the human race. The gift of the Holy Spirit experienced through the Sacred Heart of Jesus is the consummation of the marriage. The gift of the Holy Spirit received through the Sacred Heart of Jesus in that interior mansion dwelling in our hearts is the consummation of the marriage. The Song of Songs opens with a line traditionally understood as a reference to the Trinity, the first words of the Song Psalm of songs. Let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth. Can you realize this is sacred scripture? The, the word of God. Let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth. The church fathers saw in these words a Trinitarian formula in which him of the verse is God the Father. The mouth is the Son, and the kiss is the Holy Spirit. We've been kissed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the kiss that the mouth of the beloved Son imprints forever on our hearts, writes the Jesuit theologian Blaise Arminjon. The same kiss eternally united the father and the son within the trinity is now uniting us to them put simply the holy spirit is the kiss that unites humanity to divinity this is imaginably unimaginably good news god the father if you could imagine bending over god so loved the world john 3:16 god so loved the world that he bent over this broken, fractured world and kissed us with the mouth that is his son. Can you imagine that? Our Lord kissing. And on the feast of Pentecost, we were kissed by the Father and Jesus, his son, and the kiss is the Holy Spirit. God sealed his love affair with us with a kiss, the kiss which is the Holy Spirit. Experience During, for example, a Life in the Spirit seminar stirred up the graces of that fire of our baptism and confirmation. The baptism of the Holy Spirit serves to make us even more deeply aware of how deeply loved and how passionately we have been kissed by none other than the flame of God in the mystery of the sacred heart of Jesus. We have been kissed by the depths of love In the Sacred Heart of Jesus. St. Margaret Mary Alicoc's heart became inflamed with this fiery kiss. You know what she's famous for, right? St. Margaret Mary Alicoc? What is she famous for? She was the one that spread devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the First Friday devotions that took their origin in the series of apparitions which Margaret Mary experienced. The following is her description of an encounter with the Lord in the mystery of his sacred heart that took place on December the 27th in 1673. It was also the feast of St. John the Apostle, the beloved apostle, that is described as putting his head on the chest of Jesus. And this is the apparition that she shared from December 27, 1673. She writes, after that, Jesus asked me to give him my heart, which I begged him to take, and this he did. He placed it within his own adorable heart, in which he made me see my heart as a tiny atom, Being consumed in this flaming furnace, and then drawing it out like an intense flame in the form of a heart, he put it back where he had taken it, saying to me, My well beloved, I give you a precious token of my love, having enclosed within your side a little spark of its glowing flames that may serve you for a heart. And consume you to the last moment of your life. Its ardor will never be exhausted and you will be able to find some slight relief only by bleeding which I shall mark so completely with the blood of my cross. It will bring you more humiliation and suffering than relief. Talk about the cross. That is why I want you to practice what is commanded of you by the rule of your community, so as to give you the consolation of shedding your blood on the cross of humiliation. Although I have closed the wound in your side, you will feel the pain of it forever, and although you have been taken only the name of my slave, I now call you my beloved disciple of my sacred heart. Margaret Mary then told her superior, Mother de Sommez, about the visions and she was treated with contempt. Talk about humiliation, a bleeding heart. She was forbidden to carry out any of the religious devotions that had been requested of her in her visions. She became ill from this strain and her superior, looking for a divine sign, vowed to believe the visions if Margaret Mary were cured. And she prayed. And guess what? She was cured. She recovered. And her superior kept her promise. There was a group in the convent who still remained skeptical. However, her superior ordered Margaret Mary to present her experiences to theologians but they were judged to be delusions. Talk about suffering. How was the suffering the cross in terms of love? Blessed Claude de La Colombière, a holy and experienced Jesuit, arrived as confessor to the nuns, and in him Margaret Mary recognized the understanding guide that it had been promised her in the visions. She became convinced that her experiences were genuine and adopted the teaching of the Sacred Heart that the visions had commanded her to spread. Her revelations were made known to the community, where they were read aloud in the refectory from a book written by Blessed Claude. Her revelations in the open, she encouraged devotion to the Sacred Heart, especially among her novices, who observed the feast first in 1685. Margaret Mary became ill and died on October the 17th, 1690, during the fourth anointing step of the last rites. As she received the last sacraments, she said, I need nothing but God and to lose myself in the heart of Jesus. I need nothing but God and lose myself in the heart of Jesus. What I'd like to do is ask you to close your eyes and I will read part of the the apparition, the description of it. Then I'll ask Tara to play the tune, the song, the beautiful composition by Michael Johncus, I Have Loved You. So just close your eyes and hear our Lord speaking to you as he spoke to Margaret Mary After that, Jesus asked me to give him my heart. Give Jesus your heart. He did take it and placed it in his own adorable heart. Your heart is in the adorable heart of Jesus, in which he made me see my heart as a tiny atom, being consumed in this flaming furnace, and then drawing it out like an intense flame in the form of a heart, he put it back where he had taken it, saying, my well-beloved, I give a precious token of my love, having enclosed within your side a spark of its glowing flames. This is the work of Jesus. We open ourselves up and say, Jesus, take my heart. And the Lord does take it. It's the work of Jesus in us. It's grace. He places it in his sacred heart and then gives it back to us, saying, I want you to love and I want you to let me love in you. The others in your life. It is my work in you. All I need for you is to lend me your heart and let me share my love through your heart. you and you are mine. Seek his face. That's what we're doing in the interior castle. We're trying to seek the face of Jesus. And when we found him, I have loved you. You are mine. My beloved spouse. Wow. Thank you, Sean. It doesn't sound too good to be true. How can this be? It's reality. This is good news. God so loved. We are His bride. Love is a complex emotion that can be experienced in many ways by many different people. C.S. Lewis's classical masterpiece reflects on four types of love. In Greek, storge, philia, eros, and agape. And these four types of love are found in the word of God, sacred scripture. day is affection. Affection covers an array of loves, like animals. The care of a mom for her cub or for her child is a pure picture of affection. It relies on the expected and the familiar, according to C.S. Lewis. He describes it as humble. He writes, affection almost slinks or sleeps or seeps through our lives. It lives with humble undress, private things, soft slippers, old clothes, old jokes, and the thump of a sleepy dog's tail on the kitchen floor. That's storage. Or even he says, the sound of a sewing machine. Affection can sit alongside other loves and often does, for example, when a man or woman, he says, fall in love, it is often because of certain affections, a particular location, experience, personality, or interests that begin to wrap around the couple so as to make love an expected and familiar part of their shared lives. It is the familiarity, says, of the people with whom you are thrown together in the family, the college, the mess, the ship, the religious house, says Lewis. The affection for the people always around us is the normal day-to-day life experience of us, and it is the majority of the love we experience, even if we don't label it. It's the experience of being family, of being hugged by your mom. Me and my sister, I have memories of her, you know, being with her, hugging, close to her. That's affection. That's affection. You experience that. Or, you know, my buddy's in the seminary. It can be a masculine kind of thing. We're guys, you know, we're in this together. The the affection of brothers or sisters. And it's found in sacred scripture. St. Paul, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing love. As we develop the community here, there's growing affection among us, a familiarity. It's great to see everyone again. You know, there's a familiarity here. It's good to be together, and it's experienced as affection, a good deep feeling in the soul that we are brothers and sisters. Second type of love is called philia. Both philia and phileo come from the Greek word. Philos, a noun which means beloved or dear, from which we get the word, the name of a major city of the United States. Phila, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. A, a friend, someone dearly loved or prized in a personal, intimate way. A trusted, confidant held dear in a close bond of personal affection. But when we have affection and friendship, wow, what great gifts those are! Philos expresses expresses experience-based love, and we find it again in Sacred Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 3. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Eleo love is shown towards people we feel warm and affectionate to. David and Jonathan had that type of relationship. Eleo love is seen also in sacred scripture in the passage about the rising of Lazarus. There we are told that Jesus wept at the sight of his friend Mary, and others weeping over the death of Lazarus. John chapter 11, verses 33 to 35. At the sight of Jesus crying, one witness in the passage pointed out the depths of Jesus' love for Lazarus by using a derivative of the word phileo to exclaim, see how he loved him. It's a type of affectionate friendship. Phileo. The fact that Jesus is a friend of sinners, of you and me, that's the type of intimate friendship that the Lord wants to establish. He is our friend, and he's waiting for us to acknowledge his presence and availability. God's love for us is almost beyond imagining. When we consider the Lord's Incarnation, is leaving heaven to be born as a helpless human infant in order to grow and to experience life among us. We begin to get a glimmer of the depth of that love. To be a friend of sinners, Jesus subjected himself to living in a fallen, depraved world for we have all sinned and are deprived of the glory of God. Romans 3, chapter 3, verse 23. But despite our sinful condition, the Lord desires a relationship with us. In John chapter 15, verses 14 through 15, we read, You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his master is doing. Instead, I call you what? Friends. You are my friends because I have told you everything. I have heard from my Father. Friends tell secrets to friends. The revelation of the heart. And Jesus wants to tell us how deeply loved we are. He wants us to show, show us the Father. God is our Father. Whoever sees me sees the Father. And so we were called into that intimate knowledge of friendship with Jesus to discover the depths of God's love for us, like St. Margaret Mary experienced. And her apparitions. Wow. Eros, sexual or romantic love. Aha, romance. (laughs) Eros loves refers to romantic or sexual love and is the root of the English word erotic. Eros, or sexual love, in and of itself is not impure, but is a gift. From God to married couples, so that they may express their love with and for one another and continue the human race. In the Song of Songs, again, chapter one, the very first verse is out of the book. Let him kiss me with kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine, better than the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is a flowing perfume. Therefore, young women, love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me to his bedchambers. Let us exalt and rejoice in you. Let us celebrate your love. It is beyond wine. Rightly, do they love you. God loves us as a bridegroom. God is passionate about us. It's hard to believe that, but these are very concrete Graphic words to describe the reality of God's love, what we're talking about. As a lover, with all the passion of a true love, within the boundary of marriage, eros, and this is expressed in the great writings of Pope Benedict XVI in his encyclical Deus Caritas S, God is Love. Eros' love, he says, is to be celebrated one example of this beautiful image of which I've just shared with you is the Song of Songs. Because God deliberately uses the relationship of marriage as an illustration of the relationship he has with his people. The relationship that God has with you and me predates marriage. It's the reality of what is. And because of that, the Song of Songs illustrates this love with its varying intensity and the beauty of a relationship that exists between God and those who believe in him. The fact that the greatest of all songs focuses on romance and marital love shows us what high regard God has for the institution of marriage and how he feels about each of us. That's the great challenge and the beauty of the sacrament of matrimony, to show us how much God loves us and where you take the origin of your love from from the intensity of a groom towards his bride is the reality of what we're talking about in the mystery of God and it's exhibited by God's grace and the beauty of sacramental marriage and finally agape the type of love that Jesus shows us Agape love is the highest level of love referenced in the Bible. This form of love is everlasting and sacrificial, whether or not the giver receives the same level of love in return. In the original Greek translation of the scripture passage, God is love. The word Agape was specifically used to identify the type of love that God embodies. It's found in one John chapter four, verse eight. God not only loves, but God is love. And that word there that the author uses is agape. The type of love that Jesus showed us is more than just a feeling. It is more than just an emotion. The type of love that Jesus showed us is unconditional and sacrificial. Agape is a selfless love that loves others sacrificially, whether they give a response or not. Agape is shown in the many ways, such as the way that Jesus treated his enemies on the cross. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. That's agape love. A pure self-giving to the other, and not depending on even a response in return. Pope Benedict again the sixteen pointed out in his encyclical Deus Caritas S that Eros is not emphasized to any great deal, either in the Old Testament, we see it most often in the Song of Songs, or in the New Testament. Indeed, agape is stressed more. But he is quick to point out the Holy Father that the inextricable connection between the two should be carefully considered. There is inextricable connection between eros and agape. From the point of view of deus caritas est, eros and agape, when perfected, are not disconnected. They are one. Both are necessary for life. They constitute the mutuality of true love, both receiving and giving. According to Pope Benedict, as one receives love and gives it to the other, the desire for, which is eros, the passion for, is the desire for the good of the other, agape. I am attracted to her, not for my own pleasure or for my own wants, but I'm attracted to her so that I can love her for the good that I can give her. You see that? That's agape, for the love that I can share, for her good, not just my own, but they're together. There's an attraction there that's wholesome and good and mutual, but it's for the good of the other, and not just for my own ones. The more love grows, the more one wants to be present to the other. Eros becomes agape and enriches the experience of love. In the Pope's words, anyone who wishes to give love must also receive love as a gift. Of course, eros and agape are only perfectly united in the triune God where one person gives the person itself, the father, to the son. The son responds in receiving that love, gives it back, and the dynamic holding them together is the Holy Spirit, the kiss, as it were. Agape and Eros are perfectly united in the triune God, where passionate love and desire for humanity and desire for humanity's good, agape, are synonymous. God loves us passionately, passionately, eros, but it's combined with the desire for our good. Why does God love us? For our good, so that we can be saved. God so loved the world. That is the agape, so that we could be saved, so that those who believe in Jesus may not perish, but may have eternal life. Only God's love can manifest a perfect union of gracious desire for us, which exists for our good. All of us, humanity, struggle with our flaws, mixed emotions, and sinfulness that prevent us from achieving this perfect union. Despite our human imperfections, however, with God's grace, we are capable of achieving some union of eros and agape in our lives. And I hope and pray in your marriage as well as you go through your own struggles. I know this sounds too out of the world, too pious or not realistic, but that is the challenge of of marital love, that you combine your eros, your passion for each other, combined with the desire for the good of the other and share those goods with each other. Why am I saying this? Because when we come to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, What is the love flowing out from his heart? It encompasses all of this. What's flowing out from that sacred heart? It's storge, it's philia, it's eros, it's agape. All of that's flowing out from the sacred heart of Jesus, and we drink from the fountain of that love. The Lord loves us with an affectionate love. And that affection is experienced with the Holy Spirit, who is sometimes called the comforter. Our love affair with the Lord is affectionate. I will give you my comforter. The Holy Spirit is the blanket. That's the Holy Spirit. He loves us with an affectionate type of love. He also loves us as friends, revealing the deepest secrets of his sacred heart. He leads us to the Father. To know that God loves us and we are his children, his sons and daughters. The Lord is very passionate about us. The church is his bride. There is a passion in the heart of Jesus. Maybe we can't wrap our minds around that. But Jesus loves us passionately and with a selfless love. Going all the way to the cross. What more can I do for you, my people, that our Lord gave his life for us? in self-sacrificial agape love. It's all combined there in that fountain of divine love and mercy flowing from the sacred heart of Jesus. That's what Margaret Mary experienced in, in those apparitions of the sacred heart. Wow, that's amazing. And because God is love, God is therefore the source of all these experiences of love. The kiss which we receive on our soul at baptism in which we've further been sealed at our confirmation, is yet more stirred into a flame at the time of our receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That kiss warms our essence, our core, our heart of hearts, and as I said, is expressed as affection, as friendship, as sexual or romantic love, and as self-sacrificial or agape love. However, we are wounded by original sin because of the pride of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And we struggle with our brokenness and fragmentation and sin in our efforts to lead a life of love in all of these dimensions and expressions such as I have described them. And so often we fall short of the mark. We're broken, twisted, confused inside. And God wants to heal us to make us whole, to make us simple, get us rid of our complexes, as God is simple, God is love. And in experiencing the love of Jesus in his sacred heart, leading to that mansion, that seventh room, is a healing, renewing, wholesome, that knits us together. This is the good news. Through our openness to the love and mercy of God the Father, revealed in the love of the sacred heart of Jesus, And the movement of the mansions, the rooms moves us to the openness so that we can be more open to receiving that love. That's what we can do, only dispose ourselves. We let God be God in us. Then, Jesus can take hold of our hearts as he did Margaret Mary, place it in his heart, and then give it back to us. As a result, and over a period of a long and arduous spiritual journey, We gradually learn to attain a level of holiness and sanctity characterized by simplicity, integration, healing and wholeness. That's within the seventh room. What do we find there? Simplicity, integration, healing and wholeness. I certainly know this from my experience and I'm sure you do know it well. But let me share as I conclude what I mean by this by offering a witness of my own personal life. As a young priest many years ago, I struggled with eros and felt torn and fractured and fragmented inside my soul. As I struggled to live faithfully, my vow of celibacy, which I had embraced, I was so attracted back then to a beautiful young religious sister. We were the same age. And I finally had to admit to myself that I'm falling in love with her. I had to admit that this experience was scary. It was confusing, but it was exciting. It took me a long time to admit that. But I could no longer deny it or refuse to face it. I'm falling in love. But I couldn't reconcile that strong attraction with my celibate commitment. I was so torn inside. What was I to do? This was a crisis as a young priest many, many years ago, I'm saying. I sought the counsel of a very wise and deeply spiritual priest. His counsel and direction brought me a new inner peace and integration. He also suggested that I take my struggles to Jesus and ask his help, especially during Eucharistic adoration. Back then, in the seminary formation, we didn't talk about these things as openly as I'm talking to you. But it was a matter of the fact, well, you want to become a priest, you have this vocation, and we accept the fact that We sacrifice for this, so we do not marry. We don't, this is the vow of celibacy, but it wasn't in the terms of what does that mean? Or I'm experiencing these feelings, what am I gonna do with it? And the men today, thank God, are much better prepared. I took these struggles to our Lord, especially on my knees in Eucharistic adoration. Only over a time would I gradually begin to experience something akin to what St. Margaret Mary experienced, but nowhere near an approximation. I would offer my heart to Jesus Christ. And he took it as he did. And using the language of St. Margaret Mary, he placed it in his sacred heart and then gave it back to me and said, Tom, accept the flame of my love, the love of my sacred heart. Let me love others through your heart. I will do it all. Just receive my love. This gracious gift of Jesus' love continues to work in me a wonderful integration of eros and agape. never saw that connection before. Eros was always something sinful. And Benedict says, no, it it can be sinful if it's unrestrained by lust. It needs to be governed by chastity. They can be integrated. I can feel attracted and drawn by the beauty of another, especially women. (laughs) But now, by the grace of God, it's integrated with a more selfless love that recognizes and responds to the dignity of the other as the other and not for one's own selfish wants or needs. What a revelation and what a grace. It's all grace. The grace of the Lord working in my soul and your soul. A saving grace that continues to inform my experience and hopefully yours, of the other expressions of love, storge or affection, philia or friendship. I'm still a work in progress, as we all are, and have a long, long way to go to get to that mansion, the seventh mansion. I realize that someday we will arrive, and when we do, we will be a, a new, complete creation where God will be all in all, as we just sang. I would like to close with this quote from Encino Jesu. The quote approximates what Jesus said to me as I experienced the love of his sacred heart through my own trials and challenges and trying to understand what it means to truly love in my priestly vocation. As some of you may know, the book was authored by a Benedictine monk who recorded these messages that our Lord spoke to him in the silence of Eucharistic adoration. Let me share them with you. Again, you may close your eyes and hear the Lord speaking this to you as well. Our Lord is present in the Blessed Sacrament. Christ is present here. And as you hear him, open your heart to him and receive that love from his sacred heart. And let him continue to fire your heart with that love. And let Jesus love in you, in your heart, and share that heart with all the others in your life, in your marriage and family life, and in all of your relationships. Jesus says, love me, believe in me, hope in me, adore me, trusting that I will accomplish in you, in my own way, all that my heart desires to see in you i will recreate you by the power of my grace and the inward action of my holy spirit into the person i want you to be into the one who will respond in all things to my will and the desires of my sacred heart there is no need to be anxious no need to fear my silence rather I ask you to enter into my Eucharistic silence, allow me to love you and to act upon your soul through it. And from the lyrics of what we just sang just a few moments ago, higher than the mountains that I face, Stronger than the power of the grave. Constant in the trial and the change. One thing remains. One thing remains. Your love never fails, Jesus. It never gives up. Never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. Never runs out on me. On And on and on it goes. It overwhelms and satisfies my soul, and I never, ever have to be afraid. One thing remains, one thing remains. On and on and on it goes. Your love never fails. Bishop Sheens would say, God love you, everyone. God bless you tonight. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening
0: to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at Magnificat-Ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at MagnificatCST at AOL.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.